Well, if we tried to kind of get in maybe perhaps the mindset of the first ever Christmas, you'd have to go back, you know, some 2,000 years ago. Um, and it's interesting because from the time the Old Testament ends to the time of the birth of, the G- of Jesus, about five, 600 years. And so what became expected was to essentially unexpect the Messiah to actually come. The, the prophecies talked about it for, for decades, generation after generation. They were patiently waiting. But after, I don't know, a couple hundred years of it not happening, you probably begin to think it's probably not going to happen again this year, right? And so then when it finally happens, when, when Mary receives that message from the angel Gabriel, the, the Messiah is coming, the un- unexpected thing is that God's nature is finally showing up. And as we continue this teaching series uh, called Unexpected, we've been looking at the lives of people kind of around the birth of Jesus. Today we're going to look at about Mary, kind of how she received this message from the angel Gabriel, and kind of how do we respond to the unexpected ways in which God wants to move through our lives. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to kind of uh, pick up there this morning. Uh, if you missed last week's message, I'm going to highly encourage you to spend some time this week. Pastor Samuel did a fantastic job taking the story of Zechariah and the doubt that he had and, and kind of uh, spun it with this, this beautiful notion of how a doubt is welcomed in the family of God, no matter what it might look like. We're in Luke chapter one, third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four gospels give us a biography of the life of Jesus. So uh, join us there every single week. We encourage you to bring your Bibles, uh, write in your Bibles, annotate, take notes, or you can follow along on your phone, uh, tablet, whatever it is. But we get into this every single week because it transforms our life. So Luke chapter one, if you're there, say there. And here we go, uh, starting in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, hold on, he says, I'm going to need some participation this morning. You guys did great. So when I say a word, ask you to repeat, I want you to repeat it with me. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Say nowhere. Nowhere. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Talking about King David from 1st and 2nd Samuel. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, or hail. That's where the, the Catholics, the, the, the hail Mary comes from, comes from that phrase there. You are highly favored. Say nothing. Nothing. For the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, your translation might say perplexed, at his words and wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel of the Lord said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, there it is again, with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am still a virgin. Say nobody. Nobody. If we take this text at face value, let's unchristianize our minds for a little bit to the best of our abilities. Think about how weird this is. 
Imagine if you're one of the angels, you're hanging out with God. You've been, been, been just chilling with him, watching him do some pretty crazy stuff. You go back to the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth and he just spoke and it happened. Like that was pretty dope. You're like, whoa, man, that's, that's some pretty wicked power there. You just spoke and things existed. You're like, boom, land, star, sun, animals, humans. And it just kind of happened. And you got to watch from afar, maybe unfold. Uh, there was that uh, Moses cat, right? That, that was a crazy story. He, he kind of gets taken up out of the water. His name Moses means drew up out of the water. He get, ends up kills a guy, flees to the desert, uh, falls in love with a woman from a, a priestly hole, kind of raises him up to know God. And then he kind of finds his way to this mountain where there's this bush that's on fire, but it doesn't actually catch on fire. And God's speaking to him. And Moses is having this interaction. And there's the 10 plagues. And he parts the Red Sea. And they you know, all this stuff, awesome story. The, the, the prophets had some cool stuff. Elijah and Elisha, you know, there's that thing with the bear. Like that was pretty, pretty awesome. So for those of you who are bald, there's good news for you to some degree. And then God says, hey, it's time though. My story, my meta narrative is finally reaching its climax. And we about to bring my boy, my son, he is coming to earth to redeem all of mankind. And the angels are like, yeah, he's going to do it. Let's do this. And he's like, what's the plan, God? What are you going to do? You see that teenage girl down there? She's going to give birth to a son. And they're probably like, wait, hold up. God, you're God. We honor you, blah, blah, blah. This sounds a little crazy. Like, like you're breaking your own biological rules that you put into practice. Are you sure about this? That's how you're choosing for your son. No pomp, no circumstances, no like Aladdin like when he becomes kind of situation. You're just, you hold on, hold on. We just want to make sure we're hearing you right. Your son is going to come from her. And here's the thing. It wasn't just that Mary was a virgin. It's who Mary was. Because Mary was a nobody. If you want to know who Mary truly was in this context, let me tell you. Mary was a nobody living in the middle of nowhere who had done nothing special with her life. She was a nobody. She's reminded over and over again, you are a virgin. I mean, she hadn't laid with a man. See, in this time, women were kind of second-class citizens. And to not have given birth to a child meant she was basically a piece of property, more or less. She's a nobody. She's from the middle of nowhere. Little town of Nazareth, 500 people, 10 to 20 miles from the next closest civilization. There's not a whole lot to say about Nazareth. If you read the entire Old Testament, all the ancient iniquity documents, you'd find zero mention of Nazareth whatsoever. That's why when Jesus grows up and they hear he's from Nazareth, they say, what good can come from Nazareth? It's their way of saying, there's literally nothing there. It's the middle of nowhere. And then, though, we also find out that she's done nothing special with her life. She's favored despite having done nothing. And it says that her response is she's troubled. She's perplexed. To me, I read this as this, this humble version. She says to Gabriel, Gabriel, hold up. Are you sure about this? Do you know who I am? Who am I? I am nobody. Like it would have been weird if she just like jumped in on the plan. Somebody come, angel comes to you and says, all right, one plan to, to change all of eternity is going to happen once. And we have picked you, Mary. How do you feel? And she was like, tell me the plan. We're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be holy. He's going to be perfect. He's going to reign forever. He's going to die for the sins of the world. What do you say? And if she was just like, dope, cool, let's do it. That would be weird. So the fact that she's like, hold on, time out. 
Gabriel, go tell your boss, I think he's taking a little crazy juice. Because this is not adding up. Do you realize who I am? More important, do you realize who I am not? I'm not from a priestly lineage. I'm not from a royal lineage. I'm a nobody from nowhere. And yet she is the recipient of this unexpected, undeserving, overwhelming promise. Gabe, tell God I'm nothing. I think he picked the wrong person. I've got nothing to show for it. And I think in that moment, Gabriel probably smirks a little. And God smiles proudly to say, exactly, exactly. That's why I chose you. Gabriel tells Mary two times, you are favored. This word favored uh, in the Greek language means charitu, similar to the word charis, the word grace. When Gabriel says, Mary, Mary, you are favored. You are blessed by God. It means that he is going to make you acceptable. He is going to fill you full of grace. You're right. You have done nothing. And that's the point. God is going to make you acceptable. God is going to be the one to do this through you for this divine appointment. I think one of the things we sometimes miss or overlook about Mary is she's just like you and I. She's not special. She's not super spiritual. She's certainly not divine. She's not some sort of spiritual centaur, right? I'm half human, half divine being. She's just a person like you and I. She's a teenage girl from a small town with hopes and dreams to marry her betrothed Joseph, raise a family and honor God the best that she can. She says, who am I? You ever think to yourself, God, what would you want with somebody like me? You ever wrestle with God with that question? God, God, I don't know what you would want with somebody like, like me. You know my story. You know what I've been. You know what I've done. God, I, I can understand why you want to move through him. I, I get why you have plans for her. Yep, them over there, they got their, they got their stuff together. But, but me? God, I'm not really quite sure why you would love me. Die for me, save me, give me gifts, want to do something through me and in my life. And here's the beautiful thing about the unexpected way that God works is when we begin to be aware of our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, our unimportance in this life is actually when we start a powerful move of God in us. Gabriel says to Mary, Mary, it is not you, but the Lord who will be with you. When, when, when Moses is wrestling with God in Mount Sinai, the burning bush, and he says, I want you to go. You're going you're gonna, to, this entire people, you are going to be the one to lead this charge. And Moses is literally saying to God, 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 I, I don't really, remember, talk well, things can't do nice. Yeah. And he's like, say that I am is with you. In Isaiah chapter nine, God says, I'm going to give you my son, but he will be called Emmanuel. God with us. It is in that moment for us that we begin to really understand that when we think to ourselves, God, what would you actually want with 
me. I promise you that if you want to experience the promises of God powerfully in your life, the faster you can get to the point of who am I before God, the better. Because that's when God can say, you get it now. You can't, but I will. You are not sufficient, but I am. You might feel like you have work to do, but I'm going to do it through you. So you want to be favored. You want to be blessed. You want to uh, be full of grace. It's okay. No. It's expected that you will realize you can't. That's why Jesus even says in John chapter 5, apart from God, I can do nothing. But where I get tripped up, in my life and my faith, and perhaps you do too if you're anything like me, is when it comes down to that moment, you have one of two choices. You have one of two choices. You can proclaim God's promises over your life, or you can identify with your inadequacies. Mary says to Gabriel, Gabriel, I don't really know if you know who I am, but I'm not a whole lot. And he's going to say, you can proclaim the promises of God or you can continue to identify in your inadequacies, the ways in which you don't mess up and believe that's who you are. You know, I haven't, uh, this is, I haven't preached in like a month. Um, and so kind of like wound up. Some of you, you expressed your concern for me last week. You're like, you doing okay? You just making sure? Uh, you, some of you saw me like twitching, you know, last week during service. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, what, you know. And uh, part of this was an intentional thing because one of my mentors suggested you, you need to kind of do this, not so much to rest, this is good and important, but to, to remind even yourself to edify your own spirit. Like, hey, just remember this whole thing isn't based on you. And, and during uh, these couple weeks, I had a chance to speak to some, uh, some other lead pastors. And so I went to this thing here in town and, and I walk in. And first of all, I mean, I'm just going to call it for what it is. Like these guys are all like 30 years older than me. And so every single time I walk in the door, they're like, oh, the student pastor meetings next week and look at that's a good one never heard that before <laughs> and so anyway so so I go in and we're chatting and we're hanging out and then finally one of the guys says he's like Eric like we actually have heard a lot about the fruit and what's happening at your church can you can you just tell us like what you are doing and I said absolutely I would love to and they're like okay great so they get out their pen their paper they're already right now and I said here it is guys ready I have no idea they're like, okay, okay. I was like, I was like, literally, I have no idea what I'm doing. No idea. I said, well, we're not doing anything special. We're not doing anything dramatically strategic or earth shattering. I have no idea what is happening here because it's certainly not of my doing. Well, then a couple days goes by, and one of the guys, God's friend, he calls me, and he, uh, he says to me, he goes, hey, man, that was, you know, I get the whole, like, yeah, it's humble, it's not me, but he's like, but we're tight, so, so why don't you give me the real story? Like, what are you guys actually doing? His name's not Steve, but we'll call him Steve for this. I said, Stevie, bro, <laughs> I'm telling you, no idea. Like, I have no idea, but I did say this. But I said, I think in some ways, that's the power of what might be happening here. You see, a couple years ago, if I were to admit that to a group of people, would have scared the living daylights out of me. Because I wanted to be somebody. Wanted to be the guy with the plan. Wanted to be the one who, you are the reason. And now I'm kind of being like, man, that's actually freeing. Because the words that get said up here, whether it's for me or somebody else, it's not my words or our words, it's his words. 
The vision that we're, we're chasing after. It's not my vision. It's not our elders' vision. It's God's vision that he's given to us. This thing isn't built on anybody's performance, but on God's promises. And so I'm turning and looking at this guy saying, I have no idea what I'm doing because most of the time, I feel like I'm just, don't really know. Got nothing to show for it. I'm just kind of making it up-ish. Because who am I? And maybe that's a little bit of what you walked in with this morning. Maybe there's some insufficiency you felt. Maybe as you nestled your tushy onto one of these comfy greener gray chairs, you were thinking, man, this is the last place I need to be. If somebody saw what I was doing last night, if somebody had a, had a video camera of how my wife and I were talking to each other this week, People knew what I was up to, you know, a couple days ago. If somebody had to, to read a log of everything that I'd done this week, I'm not really sure. Going into the house of God to worship the Almighty God is the place that I need to be. Maybe you walked in this season, doesn't remind you of joy, it reminds you of loneliness. Maybe the Christmas season is, is actually met with more strain, a lack of joy, remembrances of, of relationships that didn't work out. Maybe it means it's a hard time believing in God and who he is. And I'm here to tell you, all of that is normal. All of that is expected. But will you proclaim his promises still? Or will you identify with your inadequacies? You might think to yourself, well, Eric, what do you know? <laughs> Mr. Pastor Guy you probably don't really know what that's like. Let me just share something with you. Like vulnerability, transparency, something I'm working on, not that type of person. But like 72 hours ago, straight up, 72 hours ago, I was laying on the floor of my office at my house. Middle of the night, sulking. I was like being dramatic, like a junior high girl. I don't know who I am. And I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling with, with, with and so then my wife, who's, who's amazing and beautiful and she loves Jesus, she comes in, she grabs some blankets and, and pillows and comes in and she says, oh, are we sleeping here tonight? And I was like, fine, I guess, I don't know. And like 30 minutes, she just sits there with me. I, can't, I don't even have the words to say it. She's over here, I can't look this way or else I'll start crying, it's cool. And finally I get up the courage, she says, she's like, what is going on? And I just, I just said to her straight up, I was like, I just feel like a failure. Like, I, I, I feel like nobody likes me, nobody wants me. Like, I just, I just feel, well, well, again, I was like, I don't know. But this feeling has overcome me. I'm like, I'm mad at myself. Yeah, I messed up this thing earlier. Da, 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 da. And I, I really just, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like, I'm just wrestling. I just, I feel like a failure. And, and so she just kind of sits there with me. I get up the next day, Right? And I opened my Bible because I got to come preach this message. And so what you're getting today is not a message for you. It's a message for me. And you just get to tag along. Because when you feel inadequate, when you feel insufficient, when you feel unimportant, when you feel like you have nothing to show for it, in some ways that's God saying, I have you right where I want you. But it's up to you to decide 
Are you going to identify with those inadequacies? Are you going to proclaim the promises I've spoken in this book over your life? The choice is yours. And let me show you the best part. This is what comes next in Mary's life as she's struggling with this. Check this out. Verse 35. It says, And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. And once you have proved yourself worthy, wait, sorry, that's not on there. The Holy Spirit will come on you once you've memorized enough Bible, sorry. The Holy Spirit will come upon you when you've baptized enough people, nope. The Holy Spirit will come upon you when enough people have told you how good, nope, sorry. The Holy Spirit will come on you. End of thought. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you have a Bible, circle, highlight, underline, whatever you got to do, and then write Exodus 40 next to it. I'm going to show you why in a moment. So the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Verse 45, this was said about Mary. So blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I love the ancient languages that our scripture is written in the ancient Hebrew, the Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, and we lose out a little bit. But this word overshadow comes just like blinding in if you would have been a reader Jewish person because you'd be like, oh, I see what he's doing here. Right? So, so think about it. There's this interaction. Mary's like, who am I? I got nothing to show for. I'm a nobody, nothing, not done anything. I'm kind of a wreck. And Gabriel says, that's cool because it's the spirit that's going to move into your life. It's the, uh, the, the God of the universe who's going to take up residence. It's in your heart. He will overshadow you. Exodus chapter 40. Second book of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, first five books of the Bible, Torah, Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it. Books of law, giving us this ethic of who God wants us to be as his people. Second book. And so this is after Moses has delivered the people of Egypt. They're getting ready to wander in the wilderness to find the promised land, but they're going to have to wait 40 years. And God says, but before we do that, we're going to set up a place for you and I to connect. Because you need to offer sacrifices, you need to offer worship to me, we need to find a place. So he says, you need to build this thing called the tabernacle, big fancy tent. And you offer incense over here, and your priest here, and you spill the blood here, and here's this holy place, and the middle of the holy place is the most holy place, but we only go in there once a year. So this huge thing, articulately designed by God, but then this is what it says at the very end, they build it. Check this out, Exodus chapter 40. It says, then the cloud covered, overshadowed the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's like, hold up. Before you go anywhere, before you do anything, all you got right now is a super fancy tent. It's a building just like any other building. It is something that is unimportant, it's insufficient, it is inadequate, but hold up. Because I'm going to overshadow it. I'm going to infuse it with my spirit. 
so that a place of unimportance becomes the place of utmost importance. A place that was insufficient to meet with me now becomes sufficient for me to be worshipped. Something that seems kind of inadequate becomes fully available to hold a meeting between it because I am there. See, what the tabernacle was, it was an Old Testament foreshadowing of the overshadowing we receive as disciples of Jesus. So then you fast forward a few thousand years, you got this nobody living in the middle of nowhere who's done nothing special. This teenage girl, all she's got is some hopes and dreams, not a whole lot to show with her life. Who am I, Lord? Who am I to have this promise? Who am I to fulfill this task? And he says, you will be overshadowed by my spirit. You're going to receive a divine power for this divine appointment from a divine source. So that promise that your son will not just be human, he'll be holy. The promise that your son won't just live, but he'll live forever. The promise that your son won't just be with everyone, he'll be for everyone. Your son won't just have victory, he will reign eternally. And God doesn't say to Mary, oh, wait, you know what, Mary? Now that you say, I realize I made a mistake. I done messed up. First time that's ever happened. <laughs> Crazy. You're right. You are nobody. You're from nowhere. You got nothing to show for it. Why don't you move to the big city? Why don't you get some fancy letters at the end of your name? Why don't you go make a bunch of money, make something of yourself, and then come back to me and we'll talk. And if the plan is still open, I'll see if I can, you know, slot you in. No. He just says, you're exactly who I need. You are aware of your inadequacies, your insufficiencies, your lack of importance, but you have chosen to proclaim my promises and not just rest in those. You see, church leading, we don't earn the favor of God. We are given it. You don't earn the love of God in your life. You already have it. You don't work for the affirmation of God. You work from it. And so the story of Mary's life is, do you know what that means? When you can say, who am I? It means loving God Living obediently to him becomes the greatest thing you can do in this life. So what about you? What about the promises of God that might be over your life that you don't believe? You believe your past has tainted you too much that when you say, God, who am I? You kind of mean it. Those promises may seem distant. They may seem too far off. You might be too distracted, too overwhelmed. Maybe you've convinced yourself you've spoiled any chance of God wanting to do something in you to be favored or blessed. Earlier this week, I was having lunch across the street by myself. Yes, it was a dramatic week. Okay, forgive me. I was munching on the free chips, and these two girls were talking behind me, and so it was like crunch, and I started to say, yeah, I'm just trying to wrestling with who I am. I was like, okay, I'm going to start listening to this. So, and she starts talking, right? I was like, that's too loud, so I make sure the chip's nice and soggy and the salsa first so it doesn't crunch as loud. Okay. And she starts saying, she's like, I just don't know. I just really don't know who I am. I'm just trying to wrestle to find myself. And her friend, who I presume, like, sitting across from the table is trying to, like, 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 
blow some wind into her sails. She's like, no, that's not true. Look at where you are in our company. You have this degree from this prestigious university, that project you did last week, it blew people out of the water. Da, da, da. She's going on and on and on. Like she's trying to be a good friend, trying to encourage her. And this girl, she, she pauses. So I'm like, I gotta hear this. She says, sincerely, that's what I've done. I'm wrestling with who I really am. So then I stood up, I was like, high five, sister. I'm just kidding, no, you wanna come to church on Sunday? I got something for you. It's Mary's kind of question. I don't know who I am, but I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna proclaim anyways. It's a great book, perhaps you've read it. It's called Boys in the Boat. Uh, I think the movie came out yesterday, today. Uh, It's about the 1936 Olympics and specifically the Washington University men's rowing team and their kind of task to win gold. And they have to take down Nazi Germany and it's kind of a ragtag bunch of guys and it kind of gives you the backstory of kind of where they came from lower class citizens during the depression and kind of these struggles they go through to kind of make something of themselves to take home the gold and listen to this quote in this because it kind of puts into perspective something I think we all might feel. It is hard to make that boat go as fast as you want it to. The enemy, of course, is the resistance of the water. You have to displace the amount of water equal to the weight of men and equipment, but that water is the very thing that supports you, and your very enemy becomes your friend. So he says next, and so is the same with life. The very problems you must overcome also support you and make you stronger in overcoming them. The ability to yield to bend, to give way, to accommodate, he said, was sometimes a source of strength in men as well as in wood, so long as it was helmed by an inner resolve and principle. So the Apostle Paul said, in my weakness, I am made strong. Mary stares her inadequacies in the face. She says, who am I? But instead of identifying with them, she says, instead, I will worship. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And verse 46, we'll read it later in our service, begins what is known as Mary's song. When you feel inadequate, when you feel insufficient, when you feel perhaps lost, when you feel like you don't have worth, when you feel like a failure, when you feel like you got nowhere else to turn, when you feel like shouting from the rooftops, God, who am I that you would look favorably on me, that you would love me, that you would die for me, that you would do something with me? That's exactly where God says, great. Now you are ready to worship because nothing in this life is about you. It's about me. Who am I is the posture of worship. What do you do with the unexpected promises of God in your life? What do we do when we feel inadequate, insufficient, unimportant? What do we do when we reflect on our lives and we say, I don't have a whole lot to show for God, you know that. I don't have anything to really be proud of. I've got way more mistakes than I would care to admit. 
What do you do when you feel like that question, who am I, is just right there, every turn, every time you look in the mirror, you worship. Because the promises of God are not based on anything you've done. They're based on the fact that he is good. He is loving. He is faithful. The world will lie to you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Never give up. Discover yourself. Find yourself by whatever means necessary. You need to really become somebody. But this book will tell you something differently. Actually, you're right. You're not special. Actually, you're right. You don't have a whole lot to show for it. You don't have what it takes to be considered worthy in the kingdom of God. And that's okay. Because it's not about what you have done. It's about a baby that was born 2,000 years ago. The promised Messiah to take away the sin of the world. And that's why we worship. We worship when we say, who am I? That would be loved. Who am I to sing your praises? Who am I that you would die for me? Who am I to be given the gift of the Spirit? Who am I to be chosen, to be set apart? Who am I to be given a purpose, to make an eternal impact? Who am I to be forgiven of my sin, to be called a son and daughter? That is why we worship. Because worship is saying, I am going to leave my shadows behind so I can submit to the shadow of King Jesus. So as we continue to worship this morning as a church family, we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally at this point in service, we would give you three minutes to partake in communion, to reflect on the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. But the thing is, church, is that worship looks many different ways. We worship through communion. We worship through singing songs. We worship through giving. We worship through serving. We worship through community. We worship through confession. We worship through so many things. And so we're going to have just two songs and some stuff here in the back in the service. And number one, we invite you to partake in communion on your own time when you feel led. But I also want to encourage you to worship like never before to proclaim the promises of God, no matter what you walked in with, no matter the insufficiencies you feel like you're wrestling with, you are here to worship. Sing like never before. Close your eyes, raise your hand, come kneel at the altar, pray with a spouse, a friend, whatever it is, but worship. Worship. Because God has already given promises over your life. You are favored because of his love and nothing that you have done. Let's pray as we continue to worship this morning. Jesus, thank you for answering and overshadowing the question of who am I? We worship you. 